In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope, bring your pole or a rope, or else you might go down in a heap. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host Rob, podcasting to you live from the Rumpus Room in beautiful northeast Minneapolis. Today I was just going to talk a little bit about what I've been up to and to answer a few calls. I'm still not, <laughs> well, you know, I haven't tried really hard, but it all the obvious ways to get back on Discord aren't working. I type in my email and it doesn't seem to recognize an email, and yet I get email uh, from Discord saying I have a message on there or you have five new messages or whatever. So I don't know where the disconnect is. But suffice to say, right now, the only way people are getting messages through is via uh, the modern equivalency of carrier pigeons, I guess. And that is through emails and stuff. And you, too, can send me emails with voice messages or just a, a text message that I could read on air if you'd like. And where do you send that? Why, to my Gmail account. That's bigbalboni at gmail.com b-i-g-b-a-l-b-o-n-i at gmail.com <laughs> why big balboni well it's a stupid baseball joke um it's in honor of uh pseudo first baseman slugger from the 80s uh steve balboni who uh kind of looked like an old-time butcher carrying a, a Genoa salami instead of a bat or something. <laughs> so so that's that's the explanation. It has nothing to do with my name. It's, it was just an email account I created for my Rotisserie Baseball League, and it kind of became my email that I use for all my contacts with friends and stuff. Um, so there you go. That's the explanation. But uh, so before we get to those, those calls, though, from... Let's see, who is it? Minion, also known as Rob from Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy, uh, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and The Pink Phantom from Phantom Thoughts. What have I been up to? Well, we actually got together and gamed in person. <gasps> Gasp. Quick interruption from future Rob after listening back to the episode. First... Thanks to Spencer, a.k.a. Freethrall, from the Keep Off the Borderlands podcast for his rendition of my theme song. I appreciate it. Second, coming up, there's some minor spoilers for the Caverns of Thracia uh, scenario. And third, one of the things I forgot to mention in it, uh, as far as our, our party being offensively challenged, is Adam's Thief has been under a curse for quite a few episodes now and has a minus four to hit which is really really bad <laughs> so he even when he backstabs that basically just makes him average so yeah we're we're very offensively challenged everyone's pretty much suited up in plate mail that can wear it so we have we're great defensively but, uh, yeah, offensively, we're inept. 
Yes, a few weeks ago, we got together at Chateau Brienne, that's the home of Brian, <laughs> on the south end of the metro area here in the Twin Cities, and played in person. Crazy. I think it had been three years since we gamed in person. It was, yeah, I think it was in uh, 2020, the last time we got together, um, which seems pretty crazy. It's it's not, I mean, it's for a variety of reasons. I think chiefly that it became pretty easy to just game uh, through teams, you know, like a video chat kind of thing. And while I think most of us would prefer to game in person, there are obvious advantages to, to gaming online. And chief among them, if you're if your player group doesn't live, you know, right near one another, um, you don't have the whole transit time involved and stuff. And you don't have the obligations of being a host or something, trying to, you know, clean up the house and have things all ready and clear space for gaming if you don't have one, like, like me and stuff. So, um, so yeah, there are obvious advantages to gaming and we just kept playing online, but I was kind of lobbying for, hey, let's let's try and at least once in a while get together in person again. And you know, I'm not going to say it's night and day. Uh, it's not wasn't that big of a difference, but it was a big improvement for me. I had so much more fun uh, seeing Adam and and Brian. I had seen Keith a couple of times, you know, in person and stuff. It wasn't uh, unfortunately for mainly for sad occasions were the times I saw Keith in person, but, uh, but I hadn't seen Adam or Brian and, you know, in person in three years or something. So it was good to see them. It was, it just seemed a lot more real. I don't know. It seemed more, more like, uh, an actual event or something. And, um, uh, and I think the communication was so much better having it in person. I pr much prefer, you know, the the experience of watching other people roll dice and seeing the results and stuff, and and having a map on the table instead of, um, you know, again part of the part of the reason I don't enjoy online gaming is my own my own fault and that I do it on my iPhone. <laughs> I'm not sitting here like the other guys where. Not only do they have a big screen, but I think most of them have multiple screens that they're working or playing from. And I'm sitting here with this teeny little screen that I can barely see, <laughs> you know, the faces of the people that are playing. And then a very small little map that Keith shares from Roll20 or something. And um, yeah, it's just, it's it's fun. It's not like I don't enjoy it, but it's... It's a lot more fun <laughs> when we played in person. So I hope we can do that more often, uh, this at least through the summer or something. And per usual, summer activities have kind of gotten in the way, so we haven't played now for, I think, is it two weeks running? Three? Something like that. I'm hoping to, uh, that will, it looks like we're going to play this Sunday, so that's cool. Keith, of course, is still running uh, Caverns of Thracia, uh, and we're 
we're getting to the point now where it seems like there are only two real avenues to take, and neither one of them seem um, seem like it's possible for us to actually overcome. There's all right, spoilers for Caverns of Thracia, the forty year old. Uh, pseudo-mega-dungeon, maybe proto-mega-dungeon, maybe a mega-dungeon, depending on how you define it, uh, from, um, oh, why am I blanking here, Janelle Jaquez, and um, why can't I think of the publisher, Judges Guild, oh man, talk about a brush with senility, Judges Guild, so there are a some spoilers here. There's an underground fortress, and then there's this um, almost like Never Never Land that we <laughs> discovered via a teleporter, where there's something of a palace. Uh, so, but I think we've we'd pretty much exhausted all the known passageways in the caverns. There, I mean, it's it's likely that there are hidden ways that we haven't discovered. I don't know. I think it's... We, we've we worked out kind of an agreement with one of the factions to try and aid us in at least getting into the underground fortress, but we don't know really if we can trust them to to back us up. We might just get in and then it's we're all on our own, which, you know, who knows? Maybe Maybe we're powerful enough to try and storm this thing but um but we're very weak offensively we have uh, a halfling with a strength penalty <laughs> for attack and damage rolls we have my one fighter who has a 13 strength so he gets plus one to hit and damage we have the only magic weapon we have is a plus one dagger uh the only real offensive spells we have are hold person from our two clerics and sleep from the magic user. And, you know, and we have things like an invisibility spell. We have things like silence. So we can do some scouting around, and that's what we've spent the better part of a couple sessions doing. It's basically scouting around invisible and trying to discover ways we can circumvent some of the defenses or just find what find out what these these monsters are doing and stuff and trying to find treasure because that's the name of the game in old school D&D if you're wanting to advance your characters you need to find treasure right and uh at the end of the session we hadn't really engaged in any combat or anything and or nor found any treasure so I think um, it was just kind of like, well, let's do something. And we knew there was a, a giant spider uh, that had kind of snuck onto the scene during a battle and bit, uh, I think, Brian's halfling. I don't know, one of the characters had been bit by the spider and was kind of paralyzed or something, and we um, were able to chase off the spider and recover the body and get the hell out of that combat before we got overwhelmed but but we never really tracked down that spider so we're like all right let's i was kind of voting against it but the other 
Brian and Adam both seemed to want to try and take it down. So we snuck up on the spider. We're still all invisible. So we unleash hell, which <laughs> with a volley of missile weapons, and I, which scored, I think, one hit from us. Um, so we're all then visible and or maybe a couple henchmen weren't I can't, I think there might have been one or two characters that were still invisible the thief uh, Adam's thief was he uh was waiting for the opportunity to backstab and the spider uh sure enough he stepped out hit with a backstab I think he did a f decent amount of damage um and uh my fighter uh hit and did some damage to and stuff but it was a few rounds and there were a few saving throws that needed to be made and we luckily made them versus poison and overcame the spider and we're thinking all right let's let's get to the treasure now there's a a cocoon here in the spider web that maybe it's wrapped up uh some victim that has something of worth on it or maybe it's just some kind of loot bag or something who knows what it is so we haul down the the cocoon cut it open and it's full of baby spiders well obviously yeah we should have known it was full of baby spiders but <laughs> what we really should have known is there would be no fucking treasure because there's never treasure with these bugs i hate bugs all they are <laughs> is a resource sink and a source of nasty attacks like poison or paralysis or blood sucking or spitting uh, oil at you or something like an oil beetle. So bugs from now on, I'm as a player, I'm lobbying against any kind of attack on bugs because you, get, you don't get anything for doing it. All you do is die. That's what you get from attacking bugs. So if you can bypass them, bypass them. If you can run away and just not deal with them, don't do it. Because there's never any trap. I don't... Maybe I, I should look. Do bugs have treasure? Like if they're treasure types and stuff in, in BX. I, I'm going to stop the recording right now and actually look and see what they have for, for treasure. I bet at least half of them it's nil. Alright, so I took a few minutes here and went through the BX rules, checking out all the monsters that um, are, are bugs or either <laughs> are kind of very closely related into the bug category. So the bug umbrella here, I've got 22 monsters. And it wasn't quite half of them, but 10 of the 22 have a treasure type nil. Five of the 22 are identified with treasure type U, which is, you know, kind of a personal, like an incidental treasure type. So that's 10% chance for 1 to 100 copper pieces, a 10% chance for 1 to 100 silver pieces, a 5% chance for 1 to 100 gold pieces, a 5% chance for 1 to 4 gems, and a 2% chance for 1 magic item. So, it's unlikely there's going to be treasure and and 
also unlikely. It's going to be very valuable. Two of the 22 have treasure type B, which is a pretty good treasure type. It, on average, yields around 2,000 gold pieces worth of treasure. One of the 22 has treasure type L, which yields, on average, 250 gold pieces. One of the 22 has treasure type D, which is a good treasure type, and that yields, on average, 4,000 gold pieces, but that is the purple worm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, that's a really tough creature. And one of the 22 has treasure type V, which is... A kind of like the treasure type U, one of those individual treasure type kind of things, incidental, but it's uh, a slightly better one. There's a, a higher chance for gold, there's a higher chance for gems and magic, still only like 10 and 5% respectively, and there's even a 5% chance for, for platinum. But those are, yeah, that's that's how it works out. And of course, this is rules as written, right? That's if you're if you're using monsters and placing treasure in the manner which BX outlines. So obviously you can you can design scenarios and encounters that don't use that. I mean, you could have a group of giant beetles that are infesting um, a lost temple or something and the temple has treasure and but the beetles are the main um the main adversaries that are, you know, occupying the space. And even though the beetles are listed, fire beetles are listed as having treasure type nil, they have nothing. I mean, you could design a scenario where there is treasure in this lost temple or something. So it's not like you can't have bugs guarding treasure or something. But my point is that if you're, if you are using the procedures outlined in BX, in many cases, there is just really nothing um, <laughs> that, that you're that you're gonna get except misery for fighting these bugs. Um, and yeah, the, the higher treasure, the treasure types that are worth something are um, understandably tied to the the more challenging monsters. Uh, so yeah, the you know more challenging bugs, and I suspect that. Um, AD&D, it's very similar. Uh, I could I could look at that too if anyone's interested. But uh, the, the one thing I am kind of interested in is looking at the monsters that are present in classic D&D modules. Um, I mean, like I, the giant ticks and spiders and beetles and whatnot that you find in all these scenarios are... Is there treasure present in the areas that are they're occupying in dungeons or in wilderness uh, layers or settings and stuff like that? I don't know. But what this really all has me thinking about with uh, with giant bugs and bugs in general in D and D is I don't know if I'm going to consider them in my wandering monster tables anymore. I I mean. You can certainly use that approach, but so when I'm stocking a dungeon and or stocking like hexes and a hex crawl, I use the procedure outlined in BX, 
where you're, um, where did I put it now? Where you're rolling, um, a D6 and it indicates in, if the room is empty, if the room has a monster, if the room has a trap, uh, or a special, which is more like a, a trick or something unique about the, the chamber and stuff, um, and it could, um, let's see here, it's on page B52, Unguarded Treasure, shout out to Shandy Andy there, um, so yeah, you're rolling a D6, on a 1 to 2 it's a monster, a 3 it's a trap, a 4 special, 5 to 6 empty, and then you roll another die to determine if there's treasure, and there can even be, you know, treasure in a in an un, in an empty room, so there can be unguarded treasure. But but my point being, I I wonder if bugs would be better considered as part of a trap than than uh, a monster. In, in which case, there there might be like some kind of treasure present or something. Um, and more to the point, I'm thinking more along the lines in my wilderness exploration, where I should out maybe take an episode and outline how I do that because I, I take inspiration from this table for stocking my, um, well, so in, um, in my wilderness areas, typically I, I break them down into regions. So a section of plain, um, part of a forest or, or, a, a small woods or something, or, um, the area around a lake, I don't know, and now just kind of natural barriers that it, that occur that hem in specific regions. So hills will, will, or a swamp will warrant like a border between these regions or a river or something. And within each region, I'll maybe place zero to three like adventure locales where one of these little hexes. So in my for example, in the, in the Planet Eris game, a large hex on the map represents five leagues, and a small hex is one league. So there might be an adventure locale that's in this one little one league hex, and then I'll I'll uh, break I'll map that out in a half mile hex breakdown and kind of stock it almost like a dungeon. And what's maybe tying it together is a set of ruins in there, or a dungeon, or the lair of some apex predator or something. Uh, but then the area around this tower or ruin, dungeon, lair, whatever, uh, can have all kinds of other little things going on. So I use a table similar to this, to stock all those little hexes. And in the wilderness, I have a higher percent chance or a higher percentage for, for like an empty hex or something that just doesn't have anything of interest. But there, there can be like, oh, you find something incidental. There's, uh, I don't know, a recent kill or something or signs of, of tracks of the apex predator or, or whatever, or the, a lair, um, Maybe there's a hunter's cabin or something, or an abandoned campsite. 
can be any of these things. But, and hazards is one of the categories I have. And I'm almost thinking of putting the bugs in like a hazard category as well. So I don't know. It's got me just kind of thinking on how to, how to use things like that are these kind of like nuisance monsters that aren't really sources of treasure, but, um, like, like bugs or giant, you know, snakes and lizards and stuff like that, that usually don't have treasure. So I don't know, just got, like I said, got me thinking and maybe I'll, if, if people are interested, I could do an episode on how I, or get more detailed. Maybe I could just sit down and, and make up like an adventure locale or something using my, the procedures I, that I've been doing and stuff. So if you're interested, I just listened back to my last segment and I don't feel like I really explained things well. So what I mean by using these nuisance monsters like bugs especially, but also giant lizards and and snakes and things and is thinking of them more like a living trap than as some kind of monster encounter. So instead of peppering a dungeon with mechanical traps and poison needles and um, pits and pendulums and all this stuff, um, maybe having these giant bugs as uh, making up a, a large percentage of the, or a sizable percentage of the possible, like, quote-unquote traps that are more or less just there to block the progress of the party or to prevent someone to getting at some treasure or something. And that way there's maybe a little bit more incentive to for the players to think about trying to tackle these bugs and stuff. I mean... Um, I just feel like if you're using really dangerous monsters that have save or die poison that a lot of times have a hard carapace so they have a really good armor class, in some cases doing a lot of damage, like multi-attack pincers for two die six damage each and stuff. I mean, some of these bugs can deal out as much damage as... uh, a cave bear or something and they're maybe three hit dice or something uh, and then you know like multi-attack paralysis and and then they have <laughs> they'll have no treasure um it just seems a little bit like it's it's kind of going against the model of the game where it's risk reward and you take all these risks but there's nothing um and I'm not saying every monster has to have treasure. I, I don't really feel that should be the case either. But but maybe if in the procedures, if you are following the procedures, and like I said earlier, you don't have to do any of this. You can just place them, place treasure as you see fit. It's all up to your style and stuff. But I kind of like when I'm making up these dungeons and, and adventure locales, I kind of like to be surprised myself by what is there. So I kind of like using some random tables to not only generate the monsters and traps and 
what else is going on there, hazards and whatnot, but also in placing treasure and stuff. Uh, and the, the procedures outlined in BX will more likely give you a selection of treasure that's kind of what the designers had in mind to, to, to have character advancement kind of in line with what was intended in the game. And if you, if you do just kind of pick and choose your own treasure, I think you're a little bit, um, you're not at risk, but I mean, I think you're more apt to either give away too much treasure or too little treasure. Um, and of course the players are probably your best indicator (laughs) if they're getting really frustrated, feeling like they're, they're, um, constantly being whittled away, you know, dying or just getting nowhere and getting no treasure and stuff, then you probably need to, to listen to them and keep the game enjoyable and, and stuff. But, um, yeah, this is all just kind of theoretical blah, but I might start thinking of, of these bugs more along the lines of a living trap rather than like a wandering monster or just a monster in a room or something. Um, and if you, if you treat them as a living trap in the game, in the procedures of the game, that might give them or have, have treasure more likely when they're, when they're present. I don't know, just something to think about. And, uh, now let's, Let's go to those calls that uh, I promised you'd be hearing. First up is Menion from the Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy podcast. Take it away, Menion. Welcome to the penthouse, Thunder. Hey, Rob. This is the other Rob, also known as Menion, of uh, Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy. I'm calling in regarding your Kickstarter information. Uh, I hadn't heard of uh, Shadow Dark. I mean, hey, I've been. I live under a rock. What can I say? Um, Nave I have heard of, of course, but I was unaware of the uh, Kickstarter for it, so uh, thank you for bringing that to our attention. The uh, Swords and Wizardry one did actually grasp my, uh, get my attention, however, um, but I thought, the same as you, I've already got two, two different versions of the uh, hardback, and uh, do I really need another one? Until about... Early this week, and then I thought, well, you know, it might be kind of cool to have like the PDF or uh, the option to print out something. So I looked on the Kickstarter, and of course, it had already closed, so I missed that one. But if it comes up on, if it comes up on uh, Drive Through RPG, I might download the PDF just to see what the layout is like. Uh, more than anything else, really. Um. Yeah, I think that's about it. One thing, one thing that's uh, got my attention, and generally I I, I avoid Kickstarters these days because I I just, I, I, yeah. By the time it comes through, sometimes I've lost interest. You know, it's, these things sometimes take so long to come to fruition, which is understandable, right? But uh, I, I always feel like it's a bit of a pain, and the postage out here to Japan is pretty costly, you know, so. Is a little bit of a turn off, you know. Um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, I was going to say that I'm interested in the black sword hack, um, and that's already stopped as well. So that's another one I've missed. Uh, the uh, black sword hack, I think it's the second edition of that. It's come out. I looked at a a, a vid who who did that 
Oh, Dungeon Craft, I think, has a, a vid about this on YouTube. Looks really, really neat anyway. So um, I'm going to keep an eye out for that. And if, I've got the old version, but uh, if the uh, new version becomes available or if the Kickstarter is still open, I might kind of have a little, little look into that one. Anyway, uh, that's all from me. Take care and uh, look forward to hearing from you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for the call, Rob. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you uh, <laughs> helping out and sending that via email because I know you initially the, the message was sent to Discord. And uh, yeah, as I've outlined, I'm having a lot of trouble with Discord. So I tend to, especially since I haven't been on Discord, I really do feel like I'm kind of living under a rock now. So that's where I used to hear a lot about various products that were coming out kickstarters and whatnot so i'm kind of in your boat now <laughs> um the black sword hack does sound kind of cool um i'm there are things about the black hack that kind of bug me but it's i, I think it's a definitely a workable system and stuff and and i love uh i think the black sword hack is emulating swords and sorcery and especially from a more cocky kind of viewpoint, the Elric uh, books in, in specific, uh, specifically. So I think that could be pretty cool. I, I do have Chaosium Stormbringer, and, you know, as I've said many times, that's a, a game I'd love to give a whirl sometime at some point. <laughs> and I, I think I'd be more likely to try that first, but if... If it didn't work out for whatever reason, if the, the guys I play with weren't such fans of BRP, and and I have some misgivings about BRP, having never really, <clears throat> really played it in a in a fantasy genre, just in in more like Delta Green and Cthulhu and stuff like that, where there isn't uh, uh, melee fighting, but in in Stormbringer, they all the characters have a percent chance to attack and a percent chance to parry and i i just kind of wonder how how many of the exchanges are going to be nullified by a parry and i never really understood how a shield works in that system either because so it doesn't seem like it's part of the armor but it doesn't seem like there's any rules in it that give you a better chance to parry with a shield so i'm not really sure what the point of carrying a shield is maybe you could only parry missile weapons with a shield Hmm. Anyway, if you have any feedback, I know you're a RuneQuest guy, so maybe you could enlighten me on that regard. But uh, thanks again for the call, Rob. And I caught up on your podcasts recently and enjoyed those. So yeah, go listen to Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy. And now, the reg sound in the regular. No, here comes a regular. That's the song. That's the song. It's Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Hey Rob, Jason here. Enjoyed your latest episode. This Monday will be my March Contest Award show, and it's long. It's almost two hours, but there's a, there's a Michael Caine movie in there that, that I think you'll enjoy. Really good one. I don't want to ruin it, but there's a lot of good entries in that, so I, ho I hope you do get to listen. The Clash of the Titans one was a lot of fun. In June, we're doing The Dungeon Master from 1984, which, you know, is not a good movie. But in July, we'll hit The Princess Bride, which is a good movie. So, you know, it's all good. Ups and downs. I hope you figure out Discord soon, but if not, we'll 
still manage to figure out how to get together and talk about games. So take care of yourself, and I will. Oh, by the way, you talk about, well, I'll give you another call. Hey, Rob. So second call, you were talking about preferring granularity to advantage-disadvantage, and I do too normally. It depends on the game. I can go with either one. But what I'm doing over my show, one of the weird things I'm doing is I'm trying to find the best system to run modern action with. So what I did is I picked a scenario from a Mac Bolin executioner book by Don Pendleton. I don't know if you remember them from like the seventies and eighties men's venture, but anyway, so, so it's this guy, he's the guy they based the Punisher on, but it, it's, it's this guy doing assault on this mafia, this house, with a bunch of mafiosos in it. And I'm going to use top secret first edition for the June entry of that. So look forward to that. Cause there's all kinds of granularity in that episode. Hey, Jason, thanks for the calls. I appreciate it. And yeah, I just did recently listen to the that military movie episode you did. It was enjoyable. And I heard, uh, heard some movies on there that I haven't seen before, including the Michael Caine movie that you're talking about, uh, Too Late the Hero. So I need to check that out. I, when you said a Michael Caine war movie, I was thinking The Eagle had landed or something. But uh, uh, this one's a little more obscure than that. Uh, I wish I would have called in because there were some that didn't get brought up that I think are, I mean, there's so many good military movies and stuff, but one of my favorites, uh, Guns of Navarone, wasn't brought up. Um, and I was, I think of military movies too as kind of falling into two camps. One is kind of the, just the adventure movie, which is generally totally fictionalized, like Guns of Navarone. And then there are, are ones that are actually depicting uh, actual battles or campaigns or, uh, like a, like the memoirs of some soldier or group of soldiers or something like band of brothers or something. But, uh, yeah, that was a a good episode that you did with Eric. I enjoyed it. And, um, I don't know if I'm going to get around to watching the dungeon master, especially when you say it's not a good movie. I don't know if I want to spend my time doing it, but I'll, I'll call in with uh, something on the princess bride because I've seen that several times and stuff. Um, but yeah. Uh, and as far as granularity goes, uh, oh, well, the, the Mac Bolan executioner novels. Yeah. I read some of those when I was, um, younger and stuff. I think I still might have a couple of them lying around, somewhere i'm pretty i kind of remember seeing the cover of st louis showdown at some point recently um but yeah granularity uh, top secret would be a great choice for a granularity game um but i'm not going to address that here because the pink phantoms waiting in the on deck circle uh with a call about uh, a more detailed call about that so let's go to the pink phantom from the podcast phantom thoughts Hey Rob, the Pink Phantom here. Good to hear you back on the mic. I wanted to chip in on the discussion of advantage-disadvantage. and so, Just something I wanted to bring up and also a question. Uh, advantage-disadvantage isn't the only way to that you can get bonuses and stuff in 5th edition. Uh, they do have proficiency bonuses if you're using tools and weapons and skills you're proficient in ability score bonuses, which are more prevalent in fifth edition than they are in some of the, some of the old school editions. There's 
uh, class bonuses like uh, Bardic Inspiration, which which the Bard can give out, which allow people to roll a dice to get a bonus. Uh, the Battlemaster Fighter with their superiority die. I think the Bless spell that the Cleric does works the same way. It gives you a bonus die that you can use in certain situations. Uh, and of course, you know, magical weapons and armor and stuff. So there, there is more granularity to 5th edition than advantage, disadvantage. I think one thing it does do is it just gives you less things to keep track of and to, to look up. I know with the, some of the solo play I've been doing in AD&D, one of the bigger difficulties is just keeping track of all the different kinds of bonuses you can have where you might have ability score bonuses, a bonus for attacking someone from behind, a bonus for attacking someone that's otherwise engaged or something that takes away their dexterity or making an, an, enough attacks that you negate the shield bonus. So there's a lot to keep track of that way. And a lot of times, if you put the numbers together, you can get the, you could get the exact same result just by utilizing advantage, disadvantage, and not having to keep track of many different things. I know some people think that's a strength, not a weakness in older systems, and some people see it the other way. But it is a difference, and I don't think it's—I don't think it's a dumbed-down system, is what I'm trying to say. Advantage and disadvantage, because it's not the be-all, end-all of the system. It's a component of the system of Fifth Edition, and I think there are a lot of detractors. I'm—I'm I'm not saying you did this, but I think there are a lot of detractors of Fifth Edition that that like to act like it's the only thing, and so it's just a dumb system because of that. The question I had was. And you really got me thinking on this because I got to thinking, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, you talked about granularity, liking to have granularity in the game system. But what is the point of granularity in a system like pretty much every edition of D&D where every result is either straight pass or straight fail? There's no partial successes. There's no failing forward. It's just... You either got the number you needed or you didn't. You needed to roll a 19 with all your bonuses, and you ended up with an 18. There's no difference between an 18 and a 2. And in a lot of, in some of the older editions, there's not even a difference between a 19 and a 20 or a 2 and a 1 because there's no built-in critical fumbles or critical hits and things like that in the older editions. So what do you see as the strength of granularity in a system where granularity doesn't really add up to anything other than do you have a bigger number or do you have a smaller number versus a system where if you, let's say there was a system that only used advantage and disadvantage where you just have one bonus, but it's a pretty sizable bonus. I think I've seen several places where it's written where people who say they d they've done the math and it's, a plus four minus four is basically what it adds up to. Like, and, and I believe you brought that up on your, on your show. You said plus four minus four. But if you get to plus four with three bonuses, or you get to plus four with advantage disadvantage, what do you see as the the ad, advantage, for lack of a better term? I probably should break out the thesaurus here. To having a, a more granularity to get to the same result. Just wanted to chip on that discussion. Love hearing you. Thanks for uh, the movie 
suggestion, The Last Valley. I have to check that out if I get a chance and uh, hope to hear from you again soon. Hey, Pink Phantom, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, as far as disadvantage, uh, advantage systems, I yeah, I know that 5e, there's a lot of other dials that are turned, but most importantly, the, the proficiency modifier. Um, but I wasn't really talking about 5e um, when I was kind of giving a, a, a critical examination of that. I do think that in 5e, advantage, disadvantage is the primary dial that's used mechanically to turn things up or down. And you can't have you know, more advantage or less advantage. It's just kind of a, a binary thing. But yeah, you pointed out quite a few different instances where you, where there are modifiers to the die and stuff. And I think there are some things in the DMG that they suggest too. It's been so long since I've played 5e that I hesitate to really address those. But I think you brought up most of the instances where are common instances. Um, and yeah, that's, it's not just an end all in 5e, but I think it is something of an end all in a lot of the, especially rules light indie category games that have come out in the last five years or whatever. Um, I, and I hesitate to cite specific games because I'm going off memory and I maybe did, uh, uh, Shadow Dark a disservice by by talking about that because I haven't read the Shadow Dark rules. I'm just going off of I I watched quite a few videos reviewing Shadow Dark by people that had read like the quick start rules and stuff. So going from from those and they'd have, you know, like uh images up on the screen, you know, like a, a, a page pick or something of the, of the quick start rules or something. So I could kind of see what it was. And my, my criticism was, uh, aimed at the thief in shadow dark, where all the thief got was advantage on any kind of thiefy abilities or activities and stuff. And my question was, well, other than dexterity, um, there's no granularity there. It's just, you don't get any better with level. You just, um, and of course the, the referee could make, give modifiers depending on how they saw the difficulty of the task. If it's a particularly hard or easy lock to pick, maybe there's a bonus or, or penalty likewise for traps, or if you're attempting to move silently, um, and there's a lot of ambient noise, maybe you get a bonus or something like that, but that's all, you know, GM fiat and stuff. It's not really, well, it might be laid out in the rules. I don't know. Like I said, I'm, I might be giving, doing a disservice to that game. Uh, but I think, uh, there are games out there where it is pretty much just advantage, disadvantage, and, and it is the end all. And it, when, if games do that without also telling the referee, oh, you can, you can tweak things too by giving a, in addition to advantage, disadvantage, giving a, a plus or minus one to four for very easy or very difficult tasks or something like that. Um, or, 
or very advantageous or dis or or um, um, difficult circumstances. Um, so yeah, what I what I want in for granularity is I want player choices to matter. So I want there to be a difference between a character uh, just hiding in a dark place for quote-unquote cover and someone hiding behind a wall or behind a tree stump or whatever, you know. And if it provides 90% cover in uh, an arrow slot, that's a better place to be firing from than behind a shrub where a crossbow bolt could go right through it and still hit you, you know, it, it might impede it a little bit, but it's, it's not like having a stone wall between you and the, and the archer. That's what I want. And I also want it to matter if, if your character is blinded from a light spell or something, um, or is attacking in complete darkness, I want that to matter in addition to some other penalties that they might be facing or um, mitigated by some bonus that they might have. You know, it just, I want there to be these, these, this ledger that's adding up and, uh, and ticking down. So I want it to matter when you're firing at long range versus short range with your, with your bow. I want cover to matter. I want all these tactical situations attacking from behind. Um, I want that to matter in granular ways, not just a blanket approach. And you're absolutely correct that it's it's a difference. And for some people, they want it to be just this easy way where you don't have to remember anything or look at a page of... Uh, circumstances or charts or whatever to determine all these different pluses and minuses and stuff. Uh, and some people prefer the granularity and they want to be able to have the actions their characters take or the, the terrain and, um, placement on in the, in the combat to matter. Um, and I'm much more in the, in the latter camp. Now, if it's just a one-off, you know, beer and pretzels kind of thing where the outcome really doesn't matter that much. You know, if, if I'm playing a character for one night, um, I don't care if they're successful or not, <laughs> you know? So all those circumstances kind of change my, my approach to the game. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's my thoughts, I guess, on advantage, disadvantage. Uh, I wasn't trying to bang on 5e. I was banging on any game that might use that as an end-all kind of thing. Uh, and I don't think that's... I, I do think that's lazy design, if you're just doing it as an end-all. If you're not, and you have other other dials you can tweak, cool. It's, it's, a, it's a mechanic that you, can, that you can roll out and use, and a lot of people love it. Um, as far as, like, gr if granularity matters in a game like D&D where it's a, a binary outcome. You're, you either make the save or you fail the save. You either hit the target or you miss the target. Well, it's really all about affecting the probability of the outcome, I guess. I mean, there, yeah, the, especially in classic games where 
at least rules as written, there aren't things like criticals and fumbles. Um, yeah, it doesn't, it, it's something that I outlined in several episodes, how I do think it's kind of frustrating when you, uh, do roll like a 19 to hit, which would indicate, yeah, that's a great hit, but then you roll damage, you roll a two, and your henchman rolls a 13 and hits, and they roll an eight with their longsword, so they're their 13 actually scored six points more damage than your roll of 19. <laughs> so, yeah, that but but the to-hit roll isn't really, in those games, an indicator of how well you hit or how well you struck. It's the damage die, I guess. That's the indicator of how well you struck the opponent. So, I don't I guess the granularity is affecting the, the probabilities of the hit the probabilities of the successful saving throw. I do think games that have a more granularity to the attack roll, say like Maze Rats, which I think is a really easy, cool design, where you're rolling 2d6 and the total that you have that surpasses an opponent's armor is how much damage you do. So the attack roll is not only indicating if you hit, but how much damage you do. I, I think that's a really cool system, and why, why I was kind of tinkering around with that in my down-in-a-heap game that, I'm, that I've been pecking away at and stuff. So I do like that a lot, and I think you could probably imp- implement that in other ways in the game, too. Um, maybe even for something like attacking with a spell or something if uh, the target has some kind of like um yeah well anyway i i i hear what you're saying in that when when it's just a binary outcome hit miss pass fail the the granularity doesn't matter on that end where it matters is the prop affecting the probability of that binary outcome. So, and AD&D, whew, man, there, you can, especially if you're using weapons versus specific armor type, there's all kinds of uh, pluses and minuses that you can get, which can make your head swim. But when you've played the game forever, a lot of those things just start getting ingrained in your memory. And uh, not so much maybe the weapon <laughs> versus armor type, but all the other little tweaks, the, the, the cover and concealment AC adjustments, the, the range adjustments, the various circumstances for if you're blind or if you're attacking from behind or flanking or whatever, a lot of that just starts getting tat, excuse me, tattooed on your brain. And it's, it's not as difficult. So I guess it comes down to like the, just how exposed you are to a game system and stuff. And something like advantage, disadvantage is an easy shortcut to mastery. If that's all you really need to remember. Yeah. It's an easy, easy bar to entry for new players and an easy thing to remember if you're, if you've had three beers and you're running the game. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, there, there can be some, some uh, benefits to using a simple method like that. But for like long-term campaign play, 
I want, uh, when combat does occur, I really want the choices that the players make to have tangible granularity and affect the, uh, the probabilities of the outcomes. So that's just my personal preference. If other people prefer different game systems, hey, that's cool. Play what you like. That's what we always say, right? Play what you like. Enjoy the game that you enjoy. So thanks for the calls from Menion, Jason, and Pink Phantom. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you do have uh, any comments that you'd like to share, you can email me at bigbalboni at gmail.com, and I will play your messages. And until I talk to you again, thanks for listening. And don't go down in a heap. A couple last thoughts regarding bugs. I know you can play games and not have treasure be the primary motivator uh, for the players and stuff. But in D&D, especially old school D&D, treasure is the primary incentive because treasure leads to experience points, which directly leads to character advancement. And that's the the, by far the main source of experience points is treasure. Now you can modify all that and give experience points for all kinds of different things. But if you're, if you're following the rules as they're traditionally done, that's, that's how it is. But you could have the bugs, you know, swarming over a community and threatening it. Uh, and the characters are trying to defend it. You could have the bugs, uh, overrunning crops and destroying crops and a village or local baron or something offers a bounty for getting rid of the bugs maybe the larvae of a certain beetle are delicacies and they're worth something so you could if you somehow got to the larvae you could sell them in the marketplace somehow for ingredients food ingredients and stuff and of course there is just like harvesting uh, depending on how resourceful the players are or um, uh, creative the, the referee is, you could have things, well, like fire beetle glands can shed light. You could harvest various like pieces of the carapace for armor or something. Um, you might even be able to harvest the poison from spiders or other venomous creatures. So there's other things than just straight gold that you could have to make bugs more interesting but in general all they do is kill you